Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke, and with me from across the pond is the Kingsman to my statesman, Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Matt, how you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, my friend. It's, uh, it's a monster evening. I think you'd agree, my man. But yeah, doing well. Always enjoy uh, meeting up virtually to talk movies once a week, though we talk about movies off air during the week as well. Spoiler we talk off air about films too. I know it happens, but no, I'm I'm doing well, my friend. It's been a busy week at work, and we're only two days in. However, mm, I'm only working four day weeks, pretty much till the end of the year, thanks oh. to never taking annual leave or vacation, whatever our American cousins call it. But uh, so I can't complain about that. And movie season and awards season has hit, so I'm excited. John, are you keeping Florida safe? How are you? Uh, I'm trying. You know, um, I am doing well. We're we're just a few days away from our Thanksgiving vacation. Um, yeah. Uh, next, so like next week, I don't have classes. So um, it's funny you mentioned like talking about movies because that's like all I do. I think most people would prefer I <laughs> shut up sometimes about movies, but never. Um, I, uh, you know, I I've joined the. Uh, I'm going to mess up the name. It's uh, Asso- Critics Association of Central Florida, I believe, is our our name. Um, that uh, Big Tuna is one of the founding members of. And so we are, we're getting um, some screeners. Like uh, I'm getting a lot more screener opportunities than I usually get. And it's yes. a little overwhelming because I want to watch them all, but I don't think I can watch them all. <laughs> that and, thing life gets in the way sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. It, yes. And um, also like distance. Cause I am part of central Florida, but we are, like where the screener, the live in-person screenings are is about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes away from me. So for a two hour movie, I'm looking at like a four hour window of my day has to be able to be blocked off. And that's mm-hmm. not always feasible. Um, so I, I always feel a little, a little guilty because um, I really appreciate getting the invites and I want to go to every one of them. It's just like, it's not realistic because I don't, if this were my only job, it'd be doable, but it's not. <laughs> or if I at least live like, if it was my theater, that's five minutes away. Yeah, I could hit that up in a heartbeat, you know, no problem, but it's that two hour commitment and the drive. Cause an hour drive, but it's not like an easy drive. Like it's Orlando traffic and it's super congested. And then, you You've know, got to play gas as well. Yeah. And then yes. And if I take my truck, it's not the best at gas. And if I take yeah. my wife's car, it kind of strands my family cause they can drive my truck, but they don't really like to drive the truck. So it, you know, I don't like to leave my family like where they can't get somewhere if they want to go somewhere or whatever. So it's, it's not easy. Um, these are, good problems to have of course but i do of course i feel a little guilty that i can't go to everyone um and that's i mean you know why we do uh a lot of the mainstream movies because we have readily available access to seeing them so um i but i am grateful uh if if any of our critic um support out there like if we're we're talking to any of our pr people who do give us screeners especially in-person screenings please keep them coming but no you know, yeah. we, we, we apologize if we can't come to everyone. We definitely would like to. Um, I know I speak for myself, but I know Matt as well as we like to watch the movies. So we appreciate getting the opportunities to see them. We do. We like to watch the movies. You have to, you, you travel by truck an hour. I have to get the train to London, which isn't a, mi- a million miles away, 40 minutes tops from front from door to door, which ain't bad actually. But. It's commitment, it's money, but we do it because we love film. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a privilege which I'm always going to be eternally grateful for, even if it dried up. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. But on that note, keep them coming. And yeah. also, yes, they are the association JB has joined. They are the kind of founding fathers I can get behind. Founding father, mm-hmm. someone like Big Tuna. 
I mean, I'm, I'm in to hear what you guys have to say. So, uh, well done to you and Tuna for getting that uh, up and running. I, I had nothing to do with getting it up and running. But well I'm done for you for yeah. being involved and well done yes. for Tuna to get it up and running. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I'd love to take credit. I did not. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I will brag that I taught Big Tuna and that is, of course, the reason he is being so successful. We are what um, they grow beyond. No, uh, that from the first day I met him, he challenged me with his knowledge of film. And I had, I, I would say Burke reviews partly exist because I felt intimidated by his excess knowledge <laughs> of movies and he was like a freshman. So I'm like, um, I have to know more if I'm going to teach kids like this. So, uh, he pushed me to, to really branch out into my film viewing. Do you uh, whether he Rocky knows it or not. Draco. Yeah, right. Exactly. He, you know, iron sh- sharpens iron, right? Like that was, uh, <laughs> that's exactly it. But listeners, we're not here to talk about how great we are. No, no. We're instead here to talk about a new movie. Um, that that maybe, yeah, of course. Uh, but maybe some of you have seen, maybe you haven't, because it's definitely, this is not open in all, all major multiplexes, but it's in all major cities. Uh, we're talking Spencer, uh, the new Pablo Lorraine, Lorraine. I knew it was Lorraine, and I, I looked at it, and my brain said, it's Lorraine on, because um, I don't know how to say that accent mark on the eye. Do you know, is it, uh, is it just uh, an eye? No, I see. I, I I pretend to know this one. I would, if it was me, I would have said uh, Pablo Loren. Okay, because, so really emphasize the in. They're funny. I think so. Yeah, but uh, it could be La La, La Reine. That's French, Christ. Mm. Yeah, Pablo Loren. Yeah, <laughs> Pablo. Um, so uh, uh, it's written by Stephen Knight. It stars Kristen Stewart, Timothy Spall, Jack N- uh, Nealon, Freddie Spry, Jack Farthing, Sean Harris. Uh, Stella Gonet and Sally Hawkins, and there's some other people in there. Uh, a lot of, it's a lot of Kristen Stewart. Like, let's be real. Like, good mm-hmm. bulk of the movie is just Stewart. Um, and that is not a criticism. That is like cool. Um, IMDb synopsis: During her Christmas holidays with the royal family at the Sandringham, oh boy, Sandringham, 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 Sandringham. A state in Norfolk, England, Diana Spencer, struggling with mental health problems, decides to end her decade-long marriage to Prince Charles. That that synopsis, bit of a spoiler, I gotta say. Uh, unless you know, th- I mean, yes, this is historical and to to some degree. I gotta be honest, I knew very little about all of this. Like, I I knew a little bit about Princess Diana. I grew up when she was like she got married when I was like super young to Prince Charles. Uh, I remember her death more than anything because it was so tragic and it was in the States. Um, But this movie uh, is doing pretty well critically, has an 83% Rotten Tomatoes, 77 Metascore, uh, 7.3 IMDb user score, and a 3.9 on Letterboxd. So overall, pretty positive vibes. Not a lot of hate coming at this movie. Um, It is currently only in theaters, although I'm sure it'll be on VOD sooner than later because it is a small market release, or a big market release, but a small theatrical number. Um, I actually saw this two weeks ago. Uh, I mentioned that on our last episode that I'd seen it, but I, I kept my opinions to it short. Um, and uh, this is, I think, the longest gap between seeing the movie and us talking about it on the podcast <laughs> for me. Uh, you had to do this recently with uh, No Time to Die because you oh, got yeah, to see it right, yeah. uh, like two weeks before, I think, uh, I got to see it or something like that. So um, I, I now know how that feels. Uh, my memory is not as fresh as I would like it to be. Uh, fortunately, I did write a review, so I can also just I could reference myself if I wanted to. But I think I'm here. Um, <coughs> pardon me, choking on my own spit. Um, so one, I think the the sheer highlight of this film for me was uh, Kristen Stewart. Like okay. I have been a fan of hers. Um, I know she gets a lot of hate still for uh, Twilight, which I think is 
kind of sad. Uh, we should definitely let that go. She has proven herself time and time again to be a terrific presence on screen, and I thought she was really good here. I do think the casting is correct, too. I think um, the mood in which Diana is depicted in this three-day event really fits Stuart's wheelhouse. Uh, she's really good at kind of brooding and contemplative um, expressions, and I think that's built into what's happening because she's freaking out. Like it's a stressful three days and this movie I thought did a really good job of, of making me feel that intensity. I was stressed out for her. I felt uh, claustrophobic at times. Um, I, I definitely didn't know what to expect going into this. I've only seen one other Pablo Lorraine film, which was not Jackie or uh, what he did another biopic of a big figure. Um, I'm not going to name is, the name has uh, gone past me because I thought I referenced it in my uh, in my review. He did a, a fantastic woman, and he did um, which I've not I've seen that yet either. Um, the only thing I've seen is Emma uh, from last year, uh, or no, oh, I guess it was two good. years ago. Wow, really? Uh, Neruda was the other one I was thinking of. Neruda, um, yes. Oh, I'm looking um, at the wrong thing. That's why I've heard came good out things. Same year as Jackie. Yeah, I didn't think uh, he did Fantastic Woman, but um, nevertheless, um, I really like Emma. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with the Anya Taylor-Joy, Emma with the period. This is EMA. Um, but I've only seen those th- this film and, and Emma, and they have more in common than I would have expected uh, because he does have kind of a surrealist approach to certain moments, which I was not anticipating in a biopic about Princess Diana because this is not a traditional biopic one it's we're only three days in um there is definitely i think some expectation that the audience knows who she is and who she's married to i don't think the movie like explains any of that which i think is good because i think that would be a little tedious um uh, and that's one of the things i really liked about this i i kind of went in not i didn't know the premise i knew she was playing princess diana i didn't know when in princess diana's life Kristen stewart was playing her i, I kind of anticipated like a full-on biopic that we would have like the marriage and like the life and this was not that at all which to be honest i was really grateful for i think it's one of the things that really grabbed me was that it's like oh this is uh more reminiscent of like steve jobs biopic than a like straightforward malcolm x biopic which i love both of the movies i just referenced but they are very very different in terms of like scope like how much of their life we're getting um and I tend to like the Steve Jobs type approach where you, you're you just getting a fragment, but you're getting the essence of the person and the struggle and this moment in their life. And you get a good sense of who they are and how they are able to maybe overcome or or deal with the, the struggles or the stresses in which they found themselves to be in. I, I was pretty much engaged from the get-go. Um, I, I don't feel like I had any like any issues with it. Like I, I, I thought it was... It moved pretty well. Um, I guess there are moments where, like, I wasn't sure if I should have known something. Um, I liked a lot of the performances. I'm a big Sally Hawkins fan, uh, especially, obviously, she's been in a lot of things recently, but I thought she was really good in her moments here. Uh, Timothy Spall, uh, looking quite slim for Timothy yeah, Spall. Trim. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's because I think he's sick or he's, I know he's getting older, but I feel like I remember something in the news about him maybe being sick. Could be wrong. But uh, maybe he's just losing weight. Good for him. Um, I liked him in this. Uh, I don't have the connection to the royal family um, that some people do. Like, I know some people are, like, real obsessive over, like, who's who and what is what. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for me, this was, like, very much stepping into an area I know very, very little about. And so, 
I feel like the movie could have easily lost me and it, and it didn't. So I, I find it really engaging and uh, worth everyone's time to check out, especially if you are interested in, in the life of Princess Diana. Now, the thing I have heard, and I have no frame of reference for this, but if you're in to the royal stuff, you're probably watching The Crown, which is a really popular TV series that mm-hmm. I have seen zero episodes of. But I've, <laughs> I, I believe the most recent season is about Princess Diana. And so if you're looking for like a lot of in-depth insight into who she was, that's probably more your, your, your area than this movie. Um, but I don't know that for a fact, cause again, I haven't seen it, but I've heard that from some other critics. So, uh, Matt, I don't know if you've watched the crown. Is this too close to home for you? Or is this, um, we've briefly talked about your, your like love of the Royal family or whatever, uh, because <laughs> of the, the news. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, being, um, of the country, what your thoughts of Spencer yes. is? Uh, well, I have to be careful what I say, or or her um, uh, uh, Majesty will uh, be off with my head. But um, yeah, I don't. Uh, in terms of the royals, I I'm not particularly bothered either way. I don't hate royals. I don't fawn over them. I don't care care for them, and I, and I don't mean that in a what an edgy thing to say. But yeah, I'm just you know I don't, I don't wish ill upon anyone, but. And live my life. Bother, bother, bother. It's fine. I, I'm always interested in um, our, our foreign friends who who are very interested in in the lives and times of the royals. You know, I know, especially obviously the Commonwealth countries are Canada. I know in the states, well, <laughs> pre Meghan and Harry, you know, the royals were you know, people love them, and maybe now that's trying to change a little bit now. But um, so I'm always interested in other people's um idea or kind of romanticism of the royal family uh i, I can't speak for england because the royals are very popular over here still but not necessarily for me um but in terms of spencer i don't know if you needed to know an awful lot about this time in diana's life because it was three days it's christmas eve christmas day and boxing day and i think the synopsis was a bit that that's very they're getting lamer each week I think and we don't make them up. IMDB is presenting them, but you know, Diana has mental health issues. She divorces Prince Charles. It's not really what the film is about. Certainly not the divorce. No. It's in the, the film is in the immediate kind of slipstream of the divorce. It's going to happen. This is pretty, pretty much, this is pretty much like the calm before the storm or the storm before the bigger storm because of the life and times of Diana. But um, it is much more of a character piece on Diana and her psychological state at this time and the film doesn't really pull any punches in showing that you know diana wasn't wasn't in a good place uh at this time of her life for the reasons we just mentioned regarding the divorce her uh fractious relationship with the royal family and the fact that she just wanted to be a mother to her two sons william and harry um i thought this film was perfectly decent I didn't mm. love this film. I don't think it's. I don't think it's one of the best of the year for me. Uh, I agree. I think Kristen Stewart is the best part of it because she is the film. <laughs> the the supporting cast are great, and I did put in my review that you know a, a special shout mentioned to Timothy Spall because I think he's very fantastic in the supporting role. And I only just found I was today years old when I realised that Rafe Spall was his son. I had no mm. idea until I've just read it, so I should have guessed from the surname really. But yeah. Um, I just had no idea, but yeah, this is Christian Stewart's film completely. And I think she's, I think she's good in the film. I think she's very, very decent in the film. Uh, she looks great in terms of how they've captured her, the mannerisms of Diana. And obviously the costume design has done a hell of a job in matching, uh, the, 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 her wardrobe. But 
I couldn't, I was distracted throughout because she doesn't sound a thing like Diana. Mm. Um, again, this isn't I a spoiler. I don't honestly know what Diana sounds like, so that didn't affect my viewing. <laughs> not an awful lot like um, Christian Stewart's portrayal. This isn't a spoiler. This is the, the, the film is portrayed as like a fable of a true story. So we already yeah. know we're going to get a slightly, it's not entirely um, factually accurate. So the way that Christian Stewart, her kind of breathy, dramatic whispering that she uses, that fits the kind of fabled nature of the story. But I, I couldn't get my head past it. I didn't didn't ruin the film, and it didn't mean her performance wasn't good, not so ever, because she was very good in the role. Trust me, she, and like John said, she's very good. But it was just that part. It's funny because you had Naomi Watts with Diana about ten years ago, and she looked like a dead ringer for Diana, probably more so than Christian Stewart. But Christian Stewart nailed everything else about Diana, just apart from the voice. So I have no qualms with, with her performance, apart from the voice. I just couldn't get past it. Timothy Spall was great. The the era, the early 90s, is recreated fantastically. Johnny Greenwood, again, gives us a really very good, intricate and effective score. Um, but my biggest issue with the film was, uh, and I didn't get this with Jackie. Uh, I thought Jackie was great. And it's a f- similar film. Jackie was a it was like a slice of life. It was uh, Jackie Kennedy in the immediate aftermath of the assassination of JFK, and it was a psychological insight into her uh, headspace and her actions at the time. Same as Spencer. The difference was in it, Jackie. I felt like Pablo Lorraine was kind of beckoning me, and he's reaching out his hand and saying, "Come on, you know, come, come with me on this journey." and you know, see the life and times. I didn't get that with Spencer. And by that, I just felt like the whole time we were, you know, Pablo had his hand on my shoulder and he was kind of pushing me. He said, don't come too, I don't want you to come too close to the subject or the subject matter. It felt very cold. I don't think this was, this wasn't a hit job on the Royal family. You know, the, the Royals don't come out of this looking good at all, but it wasn't in any way a, a look how bad these people are. They're evil. They're awful. No, but you know, they, they're so, they stick to their stupid tradition so much. That it's, look where they've become but um but it doesn't i don't think it really uh cast a great spotlight on diana either because she's not i I don't find i didn't find her the most affable in this she's there are moments and i'll get to that maybe also in a spoiler review as well there are a few moments in this film which are genuinely great very touching and they're the kind of warm moments which i was engaged with in it and that and i was in but aside from those moments i i found it very hard i found a disconnect between all of the characters including diana and myself, partly due to, again, this kind of detached lifestyle the royals live. And kind of, uh, and, I know, uh, and I do think that was also intentional on the director's part. But I just couldn't get behind any of the characters, despite this being a, uh, a biopic or a psychological biography of a true person. I just think the way that it was presented, could uh, it wasn't the most welcoming, welcoming of films. Uh, it was a very heavy film. It deals with heavy subjects. They don't shy away, as I mentioned, from showing Diana at her lowest. Uh, and it is, is, it's not a fun film to watch. You know what I mean? Again, there's some moments of levity, which make the heart smile, if you will. But either side of that, there's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a psychological bio- biographical drama. And it's exactly what it is. It's not a psychological biographical comedy or a lighthearted look. No, this is, you know, pretty heavy film. And, especially when you know that what happened with Diana, you know, six years later in Paris, there's that kind of hanging over it as well. That, that, and I like you are glad that Pablo didn't like he did with Jackie just stuck with these kind of days. You know, he's telling a few days in the life 
he had to get a lot in. And I think to be honest, and I think he did very well with getting the story that he did in. I just didn't feel a connection, my friend, apart from a few moments, which uh, we'll get into on Monday's spoiler mini. So, which I thought were you know, genuinely really, really nice moments. And that did elevate the film for me from what I've, honestly, otherwise would have been a fairly middle, middle of the road, bi- bi- biographical drama got elevated to a very decent film because of those moments and because of a really good central performance. Yeah. I, I like a lot of the stylistic stuff in it, but I don't want to get into that. Um, here. I feel like that gets into spoiler territory. Um, kind of, I, I only like maybe not in terms of plot, but I think the way it, it manifests isn't telegraphed in the movie. So like it, it comes as a surprise. So I think it, I think it's part of the viewing experience. Um, so like not knowing it, I think is worthy of being called a spoiler. So I don't, I don't want to get into those so. elements, but I do like the style of this film a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't know. Maybe I am overly empathetic uh, because I, I agree. I don't think Diana comes off particularly well, but I also don't think she comes off as like unlikable or like, you know, problematic or anything like that. I think it's just like, you know, uh, her life was tough and yes. she was going through a very tough moment. And it's, it's very hard to say a princess's life is tough. Uh, of course. But yeah, but, but everyone has, we're only human, aren't we? We could, we only have a, everyone's yeah. got a breaking point or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it, like everyone's base is not the same, right? Like where she starts at, like being okay is different than ours, but it doesn't mean she doesn't have, you know, struggles and, and problems. And yes, she might have access to things that we maybe don't because we don't have the money or the resources, but that doesn't mean she, she's doesn't have unfulfilled desires. And I think that's cool. one of the things that I really connected with, with the, with the presentation of the character is that she does have this like longing for, honestly, she seems like she has a longing for a more normal life. Yep. And, um, I feel for that. Like I, I get that. I obviously I, I have a longing for a less stressful life. You know, I wish <laughs> I had, you know, no financial struggles and things like yes. that. But, um, I don't know. I, I did, I was connected. Uh, but again, maybe that's not the movie. Maybe that's just my nature is I'm more inclined to like, you know, Oh no, like oh, of poor people. Um, and it, uh, that's not always true. Cause there's other movies where I don't care about the characters. And it's the reason I hate the movies. Uh, don't <laughs> breathe. I'm looking at you. So, um, but yeah, uh, I, I get that. And, um, I mean, part of the coldness I think is embedded in the other characters, right? Like there is this kind of distance that I think Diana feels from everybody that maybe translates to the audience too. Like every, you know, she's, everyone feels so practiced and staged and you can tell it's a performance from like the other people, you know, like they're not really having fun. It looks like they're just going through the motions. Oh, tradition Um, dictates that they have fun. That's what they say, isn't it? Like it's Mm -hmm. tradition, it's tradition. It's like we were not actually having fun. We're ma- this is mandated fun, like court appointed fun. Oh yeah, it's and, prescribed fun time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it, that comes across, I think, in that coldness. So again, I, I, it didn't, it wasn't a reason to disconnect for me, but I totally can understand where where one might uh, not yeah. connect because of it. Yeah, there were there I, again. There, there was um, a few moments which I thought were genuinely touching, and others which I thought were genuinely quite very sad and that was were more kind of the mental spiral that diana went on the way it's portrayed you know it's very it is it is sad 
But there are also other moments which I thought were very on the nose, which I thought were very ham-fisted in the way that they were portrayed. And again, that's for the there, there, there's the carrot to get you into the spoiler minisode coming up. But there were a few things which I thought whilst watching it, I thought this that I don't like it. Basically, the way it was portrayed or the what they were alluding to, it I think it was you know overly done, but. I'm not going to sit here and say this was a bad movie because it absolutely wasn't. It looked great. It sounded great. The acting was superb. There was just a little bit of uh, detachment, connection issues with me, um, and uh, certain narrative decisions which they went for did not land. But I think on the on the whole, it, it's not a bad film. And I think I'm pretty confident in saying that Christian Stewart will get an Oscar nom for this because the shock horror, she isn't a bad actress. I don't know why people keep um, flogging that um dead horse sorry for mentioning horses john but she's a very good actress and this shows it once again which she has been doing for the last decade but i think she is i think she's a shoe in for a nomination let's see for the other films about the other films coming out in the next two or three months as to whether she'll be like a lock-in for the award or not but she's getting buzzed my friend i uh that's my last thoughts but what about you do you think she's going to get a nom oh yeah i think so for sure um Do you, are you going fresh or rotten on your? Uh, your no, I went fresh, show? my friend. I it, okay. it, I went fresh because it isn't a. It's not a bad film whatsoever. It's just I I, I hoped, and again, we should we should never you know prescribe a number to something. But I was hoping for a high eight and above, but it kind of went in the high sixes for me because gotcha. you know, everything technically great, performance is good, but the feeling wasn't there, and some of the so story decisions and kind of illusions I made lost me. So. Uh, but I no, I, I I'd recommend it if if you don't like you know biographical dramas, maybe this may not be for you. But I'd always tell people to give it a go. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Matt and I both positive on the film. I a little more than he. But that's it for our review. We're going to head into our next segment, which is chopped headlines. These are movie and pop culture news that caught our attention since uh, the last time we recorded. Matt, what is your headline for the week? My headline for the week in the 20th anniversary of the release of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, not the Sorcerers, uh, I'm going to talk about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Uh, my headline comes from the folks over at Screen Rant, written by Zach Kimball. Headline, pretty blunt to the point. Fantastic Beasts, the Secrets of Dumbledore is a cheap Warner Brothers trick. The Secrets of Dumbledore, of course, is the follow-up to The Crimes of Grindelwald, which didn't do well uh, critically. I'm not sure how well it did financially, but the first, the, I agree with the article when it says that Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the first film, has a really cool premise. You know, it's a good premise. It's a light, fun idea. And for the most part, we get to see Fantastic Beasts and also Where to Find Them. And it is a light and fun film for the most part. The Crimes of Grindelwald got turned that on their head. Suddenly, the Fantastic Beasts were well relegated to not really being in the film, and it came more about became more about young Dumbledore, Grindelwald, and how can we tie this in? You could see the the connections being made, and how can we tie this into the existing Harry Potter um, story? Which I always believe they weren't going to do in this film. Yes, there would be nods and allusions, but I my belief was that this wasn't going to be a you know a straight up prequel in the purest sense, but with the secrets of Dumbledore screen around is saying that it's just a cheap trick to coerce fans back into the cinema by changing the narrative from uh, Newt Scamander, uh, Eddie Redmayne's character to a well-known character in Dumbledore, of course, played by uh, Jude Law or sexy Dumbledore as he's called. But 
it they say they say there's a lack of planning which seems to be the biggest downfall because the series went from having a couple of mentors of Dumbledore in the first film to suddenly making the entire series um, about Dumbledore. Having him in the title, they say, is is a desperate move. Similarly to, they say, like the rise of Skywalker. By putting Dumbledore and Skywalker in their titles, it's, yes. you know, it's kind of one last plea to fans, you know, look what we're showing you, please come on Ling now. Uh, especially given the production issues with everything going on with Johnny Depp and the alleged... Uh, things going on with him. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is now stepping into the role, which let's face it, ain't a bad substitute. He is going to be our new Grindelwald. Uh, and there's been so many other kind of ups and downs with the franchise, with JK Rowling, with Eddie Redmayne's comments, with um, Ezra Miller and his antics as well. It's it's almost like the, you've got the cursed child. This is the cursed trilogy, if that's what's go- what it's going to be. But um, I... I agree to a point with this article, actually. I liked the first Fantastic Beast film. I thought it was good fun. I was one of the five people who thought The Crimes of Grindelwald wasn't terrible. I think it's awful. I think it was messy. But I, but I enjoyed it when I watched it, even if it did become a Potter prequel. But I do think that The Secrets of Dumbledore, calling it that, like Fantastic Beasts, colon, The Secrets of Dumbledore, those two don't go together. I mean, Fantastic Beasts, fine. But then the secrets of that, how do those two in any way merge? Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, great. The Crimes of Grindelwald is the same, let's not lie. But changing the narrative, I do think, is a very, very studio-driven decision. And I think it's I think it's very sad because the best parts of those films are Eddie Redmayne, Newt Scamander, and just him being slightly odd, slightly quirky, finding mm. these Fantastic Beasts. When he goes to... I don't know, Beastland or whatever it's called in the first film, and you get to see these beasts in his bag. It's great. It's what the Wizarding World is all about, the kind of awe and wonder. And now they're just turning into kind of cheap or for an, like, PG-13 wizard action films, which I don't like that. And I, I, I kind of fear for the secrets of Dumbledore. Am I going to go and see it? Absolutely, I'm going to go and see it because I love the world. But I do this- think that, they've changed the narrative too much. Is this a cheap trick for you, my friend? Uh, it's been a cheap trick. I would argue very hard that you're wrong in the sense that they've done this from the first movie. Dare you. Um, the first movie, <laughs> the fantastic beast is a, is a red herring to get us into the, the Ezra Miller, Ezra Miller character and the Colin Farrell switcheroo, which I won't yeah, say yeah, in case point. you haven't seen it, but those that's, it's, it has been that what I think we're seeing is the original premise that was sold to us when they first said it was, it was going to be this new commander going after these beasts, which I was like, cool. It's like Indiana Jones, except instead of treasure, he's hunting mythical creatures. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I was all in. And the first movie that I was like, okay, there's some cool stuff here. But at the end of the day, the movie didn't deliver on the premise that we were sold. This is a, it's, it's essentially the exact same plot line of the Harry Potter franchise in that we have a hero and a super like super magician wizard villain guy. And now they've switched the protagonist on us with this movie. So it's, it's, but I've seen this coming and I I hate it. I I think this is the worst thing. I think this is the epitome of studio issues. Yep. The studio is afraid to deviate from a formula that once worked because they think it's the formula that worked and it's not. Mm-hmm. The formula isn't what works. That's why there hasn't been a second version of Harry Potter that has been successful. Harry yep. Potter was a freak thing that 
it clicked. Everything clicked. It's the same thing now. We're seeing a lot of the fantasy spinoffs because Game of Thrones was so successful. But how many of those have already like crashed and burned? Yeah, because how many are memorable? Right. It's not the formula. It's the product. And if the product's crap, just because it looks like another product, no one's going to want to see it. If they would give us the, the other thing, it might have worked. But all they're doing is repackaging a thing we already have. And people don't fall for it enough. Yes, they are still going to make some money. But at the end of the okay. day, everyone complains about it. It's the cheap um, cake, isn't it? You see, it's go, yeah. it's a cheap cake. You go into a store. That cake looks lovely. It's got everything I like on it. And then you eat it. And I, oh, this is horrible. You know, yeah. <laughs> whatever the, the, the cheap ingredients they've used here don't work. But it certainly looks good. And usually it trickles off by the end of the franchise, which I think is what we're yes. going to see with the next two movies. Because uh, so. wasn't there supposed to be five? Well, there's meant to be five, but the, yeah. the uh, article is at pains to, to call it a trilogy, whether they're just commenting on the fact that there will be three released films. But they were mm. going for five. I, <laughs> I don't know if they're going to get five. Originally it was three, and then it bumped up to five. That's and then right. It's, maybe it scaled back down. Before Fantastic uh, Beasts came out, they announced they were going to yeah. do five. And then after the second film, they looked a bit daft saying that. Yeah. And I, 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 this has happened. Uh, the, uh, the other instance where this really stands out to me is with Gotham. When mm-hmm. the TV show Gotham was coming out, we were sold a Jim Gordon detective series, like pre Batman. And we don't get that. We immediately get Bruce Wayne and the parents dying, which that should have been the finale yeah. of Gotham would be Bruce Wayne's parents being murdered. And that alludes to the future of Batman. Instead, it becomes Gotham Batman instead of Gotham Jim Gordon, which is what I wanted. I wanted like a law and order Gotham show where we have, you know, this grizzled young, I'm sorry, young detective fighting against a system that we know is corrupt. We see the corruption getting worse. And that's, again, you build towards a negative ending where everything looks dour, but then we meet Bruce Wayne and we're, we know what comes later that Gotham will be okay. But I think it should have started corrupt but got worse you know what i'm saying like that would have been such a cool show but they don't trust it people won't watch a show about jim gordon they need batman that's why it made no sense all of the batman villains that just show up pre-batman and it's like what the, no like the, they most of those show up because of batman that's part of the the lore of that series so uh, like and both of those are wb i want to point that out too right like both are warner brother owned properties i got them i think was on fox but i mean warner brothers owns the batman yeah. so Hey, Warner Brothers, stop doing the same stupid crap over and over again. Look at what's happening. And it did happen with Star Wars, but it, it happened. I mean, I guess it happened with Star Wars, right? Like his m- biggest complaints about Force Awakens was that it was just a rehash of New Hope, right? Like it, there's the Death Star, blah, 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 which I'm sorry, but I will always argue the the spy problem. And most spy movies, the, the big weapon is the nuclear bomb. The nuclear codes have been stolen. The new, because once you have an ultimate weapon, what else could be scary? You have to always match that ultimate weapon. So there's always going to be a Death Star in Star Wars. There's just going to be. But still, like I, I can see those complaints being levied at it. Last Jedi completely deviates, and it backfires. A lot of people hate it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, but a lot of people did. So again, I think when you see stuff like that happen, it only cements the studio's, you know, adherence to the formula as opposed to letting people make art and see what sticks. Cause again, the formula doesn't land every time. The deviations aren't bad every time. That's the problem is that you have, you, the, the studios want every single movie to be a four quadrant film that makes buku of dollars. And that's not realistic. You know, art is meant to be for some people not for all people every time. 
and you just need to let it be. Like let let the Fantastic Beasts have their day. I'd love to see a movie where they're just chasing the beast and there's no like apocalyptic you know, cataclysmic thing chasing them. You know what I'm saying? Like, let it just be the, like, let it just be the thing. Like every, every movie in the Harry Potter world doesn't have to be the end of wizarding world. You know what I'm saying? Like, let it just be a thing. Like, Hey, this happened. Cool. You know, like that would be fine. I'd be okay with that. Well, I'm here with that. I mean, the last film started going into kind of World War II territory, which is uh, very ropey and dicey for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To be, you don't need to be, you don't need to be turning that into a wizarding war zone. I, yeah, I don't think. So. No, I agree. Not much more to add to that, my friend. Other than uh, yeah. I, I did like the first film. I wish we could see more of just Eddie Redmayne, Newt Scamander, searching yep, for the Fantastic Beast because not everything has to tie in. But I think studios, like you say, they've got they've got parks to pay for. They've the, my biggest kind of issue with the wizarding world was well, Harry Potter's done with now. Now yeah. what? Because but J.K. You know, Rowling, you know, she's not going to be writing any more books. I thought, well, whatever you think of J.K. Rowling, I'm not even going to get into that. I think that she should potentially, I think she should come up with the stories and then ask other people to write the books. Because then we yeah. can get new books set in the Wizarding World. Nobody has to worry about J.K. Rowling's name on it. It'll be somebody else. But it expands that world a bit more because they tried like that with Fantastic Beasts. Like Star Wars, yeah. They tried that with Fantastic Beasts. They got scared, basically. That's like, oh, crap. How, what, what do we do to... Um, how can we get this to, to uh, play to the Potterheads and to the casuals? Let's just throw, like you say, towards the end, let's just start throwing more Potter references in. The second film, let's just pretty much make it a Harry Potter prequel and then the sequence of Dumbledore. I mean, oh, how, uh, how, odds on, is Eddie Redmayne going to be in more than half of this film as a main character? Or is he going to be relegated to a supporting character like Bilbo Baggins in his yeah. own damn series of films? So I also I really like the the interaction with the muggles in, in this yes. movie because it's something you didn't really get a lot of because at Hogwarts, there's not going to be muggles, but in when Newt Scamander is going into the real world, I like that kind of interaction because it was something that was alluded to and referenced in the movies, but we didn't get to really dive into because the plot was so focused on the schools. Here was that opportunity. And it was like, I like what they did with it at first, but they do deviate pretty hard from it. But yeah, um, I agree. My friends. That's, that's me. What's you? My headline is I got to call, uh, you know, I love, a lot of old directors, but I'm tired of all these big name directors dissing the superhero movies. Uh, Ridley Scott calls superhero movies boring, but says he's made three great ones. So first and foremost, the, the hate that the Marvel movies are getting just feel like jealousy. Um, the, mm-hmm. the issue I have with the comic book movie is that it is becoming the only thing studios are trusting to make right now. And I don't like that. I do like diversity of our cinema. Like I don't want the comic book movies to stop because I mostly enjoy the comic book movies. You do. But I also don't want them to be the only movies getting budgets. So, but for like Ridley Scott to say they're boring, it's like, dude, I've seen a lot of your movies. Not all of them are exciting. Like some of them are boring, but more, not every movie is for everybody. Ridley Scott. So like, don't diss these other movies because for some people, the last duel is boring. I love that movie, Mm -hmm. but I know a lot of people would be bored to tears. And again, you know, not every movie can do what that movie does. Cause last duel in the wrong hands would not have been an appropriate movie for a lot of reasons. You know, they would have been handled very distastefully. I actually think Ridley Scott did a pretty dang good job with that movie, but like chill out and it, gladiator <laughs> alien and blade runner are the three movies he's claiming are superhero movies. Now, do they have heroes in them? Yes. 
would you classify them as a, a comic book movie? No, not at all. Like, not, obviously, they're not based on existing property, so that rules them out. But even if we were to follow like the superhero genre, I think you would find that not accurate. Um, Sigourney Weaver, especially in Alien, uh, the one he directed, um, I wouldn't say Ripley's a superhero at all. Does she survive? Yes. Uh, I would say dude with a problem if we're going Blake Snyder, save the cat archetypes. Um, way more than than superhero, which is one of the the ten archetypes that Snyder has, which was written before the Marvel influx of the of the studio system. But I don't know. Like, I just it feels like we've heard Scorsese dissing these movies. I think um, there was a couple other of the big name old school directors, yeah, Spielberg, Villeneuve. Villeneuve, which is more modern uh, diss, but like he needs to chill. He's just you know, I'm sorry, uh, he's he maybe sidestepped getting a superhero movie like nolan did the dark knight before the big increase in superhero movies but like villeneuve was like blade runner 2049 hits at the box office i think you see him doing a marvel movie kind of thing you know what i'm saying like he just sidestepped and fine but like for villeneuve to talk trash too by the way like he's in the same genre that most of the mcu films are operating under in terms of their sci-fi movies for the for the most part most of the heroes in the mcu are sci-fi characters now are there some things that could be better i think a lot of the color palettes are very bland um you know they're they are getting to be paint by numbers within the mcu but like the superhero like like dig doesn't specify only mcu right like the DC no. universe is different now. Like the way they're doing movies, their approach to films are going to be very different than what we've seen so far because they are doing these kind of one shot things like Joker. Well, I have issues with Joker. It's a superhero movie, right? Like in a, in a, it's a dark superhero movie, but it's still there. It's built into its, its presence. I don't know. I I'm just, I'm tired of, the hate like i i don't know that westerns got this much hate from the the other filmmakers who weren't making westerns you know what I'm saying? and westerns were like they essentially are the comic book character you had a cowboy the gunslinger character is a superhero archetype and the movies were ubiquitous like the superhero movies are now like, there were so many westerns every big actor in the 50s did a freaking western like yep. i've ne- james stewart an actor i love i've not seen any of his westerns but he has a bunch of them you know ton of them and like i can't picture that cuz i picture him as a little he's very skinny in in rear window and vertigo and um obviously it's a wonderful life and then i just watched harvey last night which i'm about to talk about here in a minute but like nice. c- how could he be a, a cowboy? I don't buy it based on the persona that I know of Jimmy Stewart, but he was. And that's the point. Like the superhero genre, the comic book movie is the modern Western. And I think everyone needs to chill. If you don't like it, then don't go see it. It's okay. <laughs> but don't throw your shade at it for no reason. Like I see, I've seen, I'm going to go see house of Gucci in a couple of weeks and I'm yeah, excited man. for it. I can like both. And I do. That's the thing. Like it's capable of, of existing. I think the superhero movies for me scratch a different itch than last duel scratches for me. But what do you think about this? Uh, continued hate towards the Marvel, especially oh, you are much less inclined to love these movies as I am. So what's your take? Yeah, no, you're right. And just on Ridley Scott comparing his own films to superhero films, I think that's one of the daftest things he said, because the reason why Ripley and uh, Rick Deckard, 
more especially Ripley, are so beloved is because they're not heroes. Ripley was just like a technician or something who just yeah. got pulled into this. Deckard's a cop, basically, and, and, and Maximus, he's a, he's a gladiator who's running on trauma and grief. They're not superheroes. They're people. Whereas, obviously, superheroes, you know, the, the, the MCU obviously trying to ground them a bit more, but they are still, for all intents and purposes, superheroes. Same as in Star Wars. You've got the deus ex machina. If there's a problem, use the force. If there's an issue... I don't know, use your superpowers. Ripley and that can't do that, or Deckard. So, um, as for the the constant bashing of comic book films, and yes, like you say, I, I I enjoy comic book films. I don't I don't love 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 them with all my heart. I think they're great, and I think what they've done for cinema can't be cannot be overstated. And what certainly Feige has done in in the last decade for blockbuster cinema. Uh, but also before that, you know, going back to the Spider-Man, the Raimi Spider-Man films, the X-Men films, and the Blade films before that, you know, it's not like comic book films are a new thing. But right. it's, it just seems to be whenever a director, and this isn't a hot take, this is clear, whenever a director has a new film coming out, the, the comic book question comes out, and I think it's more more down to the the journalists as well. Yeah. If they if they can call themselves a journalist, because if I'm sitting in the room of Ridley Scott, Denny Villeneuve, Chris Nolan, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, I don't give two dams what I think about Ant Man and the Wasp. I don't care. I don't care what I think about Return of the Jedi. I, I'm just sitting down with these these classic directors and these up and coming legends. I want to know about the films they're making, the filmmaking process. You know, what have they got coming up next? All this kind of stuff. I don't. Why do they feel the need to? Well, we all know why they ask them because it's going to get the clicks. It's going to get them commission. It's going to make money. But the integrity is lost. It's gone now. For when it comes to that, I don't. When Ridley Scott said this, I just, I just sighed and closed the Twitter app. I generally dig. I, yeah. I just can't be bothered. Do, do I enjoy seeing um, like stands get annoyed? Yes, I really do, and that includes Star Wars. Like with everything going on with the No Way Home stuff, I I would love it if whoever people think is going to be in this film, I'd love it if they're not in it, just to see the reaction of people. Uh, but I am the same with Star Wars as well. I like seeing the ultras go mad. So, but this isn't, and um, this is irrelevant for him to even say. It's unnecessary. I don't think his words are, uh, are correct. You know, the scripts aren't boring. I don't think they're boring at all. I don't think the films are boring. I do think there's a DNA that Feige has tapped into and it works. And so they're sticking to it. But then we get the Eternals, which changes that and people don't like it. So you're damned if you do or don't at this rate. But I think it, I just think it's getting to the point of silliness now. It is boring to hear anyone trash it because people, as I was yeah, back to it, sorry, directors have got new films coming out. Suddenly the, the, the talk isn't about House of Gucci. The talk isn't about Dune necessarily. It's now... Oh, D- 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 Denis Villeneuve, director of Dune, hates Marvel films. thinks they're, thinks they're uh, not cinema. Same as Scorsese, House of uh, no, Ridley Scott, director of House of Gucci, said this about com- the, the conversation isn't about their films. They are, yeah, they are then changing the narrative rather than p- telling people to come and see my film in a positive light. They're changing the story so people now just get really annoyed at him and there will be a subsection of people who go to watch his film or, or just now won't bother go to watch a film sorry or they'll yeah. go and do this this, this stupid review out of spite. but out of spite, yeah. exactly which is again is no better or worse than what ridley scott did i think you know it's silly but i do think this whole constant what does you know great director think about comic book films i think i generally think it's boring it's lazy it's the lowest form of journalism ridley scott your opinion is your opinion. I don't agree with it. 
I think you've got, you know, your legacy in cinema is made now and you potentially continue to build upon that. You don't need to lay foundations by crapping on other people's work or enjoyment because the amount of work that goes into those boring, lifeless comic book films is exponential. So I think it's stupid. I think I just wish it would stop, but I don't think it will do because money talks, my friend. But I think Ridley Scott is uh, ill-advised with these quotes. Yeah, and I, I do. I agree with. I think the the target maybe should be the the journalists who do the interviews. Mm-hmm. I have mostly avoided doing interviews. Not that I could interview Ridley Scott, but you know, like I've, you could. I've I've interviewed some uh, people, and I I I've always gone. Um, I my I am generally interested in hearing their thoughts about their movie and their process, and um, you know why they pick certain projects and things like that. If any question to me would be relevant, would be how does it feel having your movie wedged between two big superhero movies? Because Eternity, uh, Eternal, excuse me, and Far, uh, man, no Spider Man No Way Home. That's are a better ba- question. Back to back, right? Because that's that is a struggle. Because you know how Suguchi's box office is going to be wedged mm-hmm. between these two, but other like behemoths and also several other blockbusters though because this is this is a weird year where we're getting a lot of like what should have been summer blockbusters dumped Back right now, day. like. Dune feels more like a summer type movie. Like it makes sense for winter because there is, like Star Wars has always been a winter release usually in the last couple of uh, entries and whatever. So there's like a sci-fi vibe for the the winter stuff. But like Ghostbusters next week, that's a blockbuster. Should have been the summer. Um, yes, they pushed the Top Wars, yeah, yeah, and they pushed Top Gun back, but that was supposed to be coming out right now too, which is definitely more of a summer Memorial Day type blockbuster. Um, and then uh, Spider Man Far From Home should be a summer Marvel movie. And instead we're getting a winter drop um, or no way home. Excuse me. I keep messing up the titles, but um, uh, so there's more blockbusters being dumped at the end of the year because of COVID and, and everything like that, that it might hurt these smaller, more prestigious films box office. Not that they usually would have a big box office anyways, not until after award seasons like announced, no. But still, I, I could see that being a criticism that he has more so than attacking the, like the whole genre, basically. But but money talks again, just like we mentioned about these journals want their money. Ridley Scott would probably prefer if he wasn't going up against those two films or a sandwich in between them, because again, how, look at the last jewel. He's already getting pillory left and right because the last jewel made no money. Why, yeah. why that was, you know, it's up for debate. Blade Runner twenty forty nine didn't make money. Uh, well, you know, was that the superhero film's fault? I don't know, but that is a better question. Like you said, is you know, how do you feel being sandwiched between these two, you know, box office hoovers? Um, because those feel like a film like House of Gucci isn't anticipated to make much money, but uh, as much sorry as a Black Widow or No Way Home. But if 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 the, if the, the studio is going to miss out on a potential even twenty or thirty, forty million dollars on it because of what's coming out around it. That's going to be uh, that's still a big hit, and it may also then deter them from making similar films. Yeah, for sure. So um, that's me. That's the the chopped headlines. Let's move to our media consumption. This is media that uh, Matt and I have been consuming since our last recording: the movies, TV, video games, music, podcasts, etc. Um, Matt, what have you been consuming since our last episode? Um, a, a little bit of this and a little bit of that for me, my friend. Um, more, I know, more, more watching than listening, but I did think that for once the pendulum had swung. In terms of what I've had in my ears, I've been listening to the Rotten Tomatoes, Tomatoes is Wrong podcast, a 
uh, discussed a Mandalorian season one and season two, actually. They're asking, were the 93% and 94% respective scores too high or is it just right? And uh, that was an interesting discussion. So, again, not going to, if you want to go and listen to that, I'm not going to tell you what they thought in terms of yes or no, was it too high? But go check it out. Usually about an hour long. You can you can do, listen to it on your commute. Um, I listened to episode four of Who Is Daniel Johns, the uh, Spotify original uh, series on the ex silver chair front man. Very interesting uh, deep dive again into a very interesting artist. Uh, the final one comes out probably now, in fact, because it comes out first in Australia. So uh, it comes out on a Wednesday or Tuesday over there. I don't know what it is, but I think it should come out by now. But that's very interesting. If you like silver chair or just sort of artistry and or an interesting sort of modern rock grunge uh, history, then well worth a listen. Uh, and I've all been listening. Speaking of Australians, I've been listening to my buddy over in Australia, Pato, Chris Patterson and, uh, and his podcast, Oz Movie Geek. I've had him on my show before to talk Jaws. He's a, he's a very nice guy. He's very knowledgeable on film great voice to listen to as well uh so i just listened to a few of his shows talking about midnight mass and uh eternals and some of the other films that came out recently so uh that's what i've been listening to in terms of what i've been watching on the television uh i've been watching under i watched under the helmet which is a 22 minute long documentary on disney plus uh on boba fett it dropped on disney plus day uh which we covered on sessions this week about what did and didn't drop in terms of lucasfilm but um that was really interesting. I've never been the biggest fan. I'll say that's a lie. I've never quite understood the clamor for Boba Fett. That's been around since 1980. Then the Mando season two came out and I'm a Fett fan now, but this kind of fills in those blanks for me. The mystery around Boba Fett. And from the moment that they had that first, uh, armor costume, try on try out with the white armor, how the staff at Lucasfilm reacted, how George Lucas, because George Lucas is interviewed. It's all new interviews. George Lucas is on there being interviewed, which was a j- delight to see. They got Jeremy Bullock, God rest his soul. There was a tribute to him on there, the original Boba Fett. Uh, Daniel Logan, who played young Boba in Attack of the Clones uh, and the Clone Wars was on there. Uh, Tamara Morrison, Kathleen Kelly. It's a very well done, very well done documentary. So if you are a fan of Boba Fett or you want to see what the fuss is about, 22 minutes on Disney Plus, check it out. Um, I also rewatched season one of the Mandalorian. My uh, father hadn't seen it, uh, which caused a lot of, well, exactly. It caused that kind of consternation between uh, people in the know. So I was like, right, I can come around. We're going to watch the Mando season one. So we blasted through that and we did watch the first episode of season two. So now to watch the, the last seven episodes and uh, I'm just digging it in the lead up to Boba Fett. I love man. I prefer season one to season two, but um, it's always a joy to go back into that world. So, uh, any excuse to uh, watch The Mandalorian, I'll take it. And in terms of films, obviously Spencer, as you've mentioned, uh, I also watched Red Notice on Netflix, the Dwayne Johnson, uh, Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot film, heist comedy film, which is getting absolutely slaughtered from pillar to post. But I thought it was fine. And I know I say that about a lot of films. I said to John the other day, I said, oh, Sam, I sound really miserable. <laughs> Nothing's jumping out at the minute. But Red Notice, I thought was passable simply because the three leads are so fun to watch they make it watchable it's something there's the first half is actually quite good uh some of the jokes are good but it does just turn into improv which i don't dig a lot of the time uh unless you're the ghostbusters in 84 you it just doesn't work uh so there's a lot of improv which doesn't land but gal gadot's having a great time is her role it's finding it's nice to see her do something a bit different 
the Rock and Ryan Reynolds, they've got good, they gel well together. The, the, you know, you know, they're both good at comedy, so they, they bounce off each other. But again, they wanted, they wanted to come up with this kind of clever heist film and it's just ridiculous. Like, it falls apart under its own weight of the, the constant need to try and have a twist, a reveal or a surprise. It's, it's not very good narratively. It looks cheap as anything as well. If it wasn't for the three leads, it would have been abysmal. The three leads literally do make it an average film. And not, cause not, not to say they're Oscar winners, but it was, I enjoyed watching those three. So, and there's a real, there's also a really bad cameo towards the end, which it, again, it's just cheap. It, it cheapens the film and it's not funny and it's out of place. But, um, yeah. Go on Twitter for that, and you'll, I'm sure you'll, you'll soon find out what it is, guys. And um, I also sat down and watched Home Sweet Home Alone on Disney Plus. I know John's seen this as well. We both saw the trailer and weren't exactly enamoured by it. We thought, I, I remember, we both thought it looked a bit, a bit ropey, shall we say? Uh, I watched it, and I really didn't like Home Sweet Home Alone. I, I think the parents are nice. Uh, the the kind of the two parents who are tasked with as the trailer shows breaking and entering i liked them i thought they were cool mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. i i don't like how they were you know essentially just quite nice people who were just trying to save their family and this is what they get in return the, i can't remember the dude who played the kid who plays um kevin McAllister like but i did i i'm so sorry to say i thought he was dreadful i've seen a lot of people say he wasn't they didn't mind him but i did think he was just not very good i want really wanted him to get caught in one of his own traps um uh, again the jokes didn't or some of them did there was some there were some usually from the mum and dad combo some of their jokes and interplay was quite was funny uh but it just felt again and, and the throwbacks to the original i thought please don't please don't try and tie this in too much to the original i don't need that music cue there i don't need yeah. a reminder of the the, the the characters here and there and and even when someone says you know, why do they remake the classics? They're never as good as they were. I thought, Jesus, good God. <laughs> well, actually, the director knows what he's talking about here. But I re- and I genuinely, dude, I really, I know I'm down on a lot of things recently, but I genuinely did want to think this film was fine. It, I kind of went into it, like we said off air, without any critical hat on. And I also tried to think, right, I want to imagine that my daughter's next to me. She's five. What would she think about this? So I tried to get into that mindset, but it got to me after about 45, 50 minutes, only an hour and a half. I thought I just not enjoying this. I really wanted to, but it's nothing to do with the reverence for the first film or the second film. This one just didn't work for me whatsoever, my friend, but uh, I hope it, w- I know a lot of people out there who have seen it and have said, actually it wasn't that bad. So JB over to you. What so, do you think about this and the rest? I, I am one of those. Uh, I, I said, I am a sucker for Christmas movies, um, mm-hmm. especially like not Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, <laughs> the stuff that didn't work for me in this was mainly a lot of the references to the first film. I wish it wasn't trying to be so referential. Um, I actually wish it just embraced its own thing. Cause that's what really worked for me is the, uh, there's, I don't want to get into spoilers or anything for it, but um, they, they, they do the familiar formula, but there's some new twist to it. I like that kind of thing. Cause it's like, Oh, it's a new version of a familiar thing. I like that. Um, I again like they lean heavy on the 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 score cues. There's cameos and there's some of the plot is like way too on the nose pulled from the the original film, which I've seen probably more than any other movie ever. Like I've watched Home Alone multiple times throughout the last twenty years, so like I am very familiar with that film. 
Um, I liked the kid. I didn't love the kid. I do think um, Ellie uh, Kemper and Rob Delaney are the best parts of this movie, hands yep. down. I also I really like Keenan Thompson in this, um, and good for Keenan because he's lost a little bit of weight, even like so. It's like mm-hmm. he looks like he's uh, in good shape and, and in there uh, hitting the comedy real hard. Um, I'm a big Pete Holmes fan. Uh, hated him in this. I, I thought mm-hmm. he was way overused um, and not he's not in it much, but like he's like full 100% Pete Holmes in the scenes that he's in. And it was just like too much, bring it down a notch. Um, but uh, I think a lot of the storytelling is a little, like I, I honestly, if you ask me who the kid's parents were, I could tell you who his mom is. No clue who the dad is like, not sure which of the guys that we are seeing is supposed to be the dad until maybe the, the very end of the characters. Yeah. And that's fine. Cause I don't know if the, any of that really matters. Um, but overall I had fun with this. I do think it is. It's, it's not, a brilliant movie. It is a rehash of something familiar. If you're going to be one of those people like, why do I need this? If I already have the first one, you're right. You don't need this one, but this is something that I could easily like during the Christmas season, we go through a pretty heavy rotation of the classics. Uh, my wife and I both being big Christmas movie people. Um, I could see this just being lumped into that rotation. Cause like we have a, a there's a movie called Christmas do over with, um, Oh, I'm going to forget his name all of a sudden. Uh, Jay Moore. Um, mm-hmm. that is basically Groundhog Day with Jay Moore, who's obviously not Bill Murray, right? Like nowhere in the same league, but we love that movie. It was like a TV movie too, but we own the DVD. I have it on VOD. Like it's a movie that we go back to. I know isn't very good, but we really enjoy. There's some actual like terrible performances in that movie. Not from Jay Moore's on top of his game, in my opinion, in that movie, but like the, I think the, the father-in-law is like really mediocre performance still like the movie despite that, you know what I'm saying? Like that's the type of forgiveness I tend to have with a lot of Christmas movies. And I think this falls into that category. There's a lot of the, the season and the family atmosphere kind of just win me over enough that I had a good time. with it. So, um, fair enough. I, I guess it's on me now though, for what I've been watching, right? Over to you, my friend. So listen to the newest episode of blank check escape from LA episode. Um, I got to say, Matt, you and I did the uh, Bampocalypse for Escape from New York, which we were both a little disappointed in because we, we went in expecting this like big bombastic action movie and it wasn't really that. Um, I think Escape from L.A. is maybe what we were thinking it was going to be, like a little yes. more fun. It's not a good movie, but there's definitely more crazy set pieces in Escape from L.A. It, they look pretty bad. Like the CG is notoriously one of some of the worst but like there's a surf sequence and like a basketball seat. Like it's, it's pretty wild, but I, the episode's really good episode of blank check. Um, I, I watched, uh, the innocence last week for our movie club podcast. Yes. And that got me interested in the haunting of Bly Manor. So I have watched all nine episodes of the haunting of Bly Manor. Really, really liked that show a lot. Um, it ended in a way I was not anticipating that hit some emotional beats that I wasn't ready for. Uh, but really, really liked haunting of Bly Manor. Um, movie wise, I rewatched, uh, Michael Bay's the rock. I think he should put his name in front of all of his movies. Um, <laughs> as I am, uh, I will talk about it momentarily, but, um, I watched they, the harder they fall on Netflix. Uh, excellent film. Really, really love this movie. Uh, Jonathan majors is just becoming a megastar, but we also get Zazzy beats. Always great. Idris Elba, Regina King is crushing it in this role. And I'm a huge lucky Stanfield fan, but the dude is just on it. I actually really cared a lot about the characters in this movie and found them all really interesting and compelling, really solid Western. Um, this week on movie club, we're covering Jim Jarmusch's mystery train. Okay. Jim Jarmusch's vibe is just like 
a vibe I didn't know I had until I started watching his movies, but his movies hit like a, a, a touchstone inside of me. I, I just vibe with them. And mystery train is like all that. It's like, it's got Patterson vibes, like real hardcore. Oh yes. Uh, where it's just this kind of like chill movie where like you're, you're with it's you're with a few different people and their stories kind of intertwine, but um, it's definitely got the kind of low stakes that Patterson has, right? Like it's like, it's these people's lives. Some of them have bigger stakes than others, but for the most part, there's a lot of little commentary on like music. Cause it's all in Memphis. Um, really interesting movie. Uh, it's like three short stories that are loosely connected through Memphis in this one hotel. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, then I watched uh, Alfred Hitchcock's silent film called the lodger, a story of the London fog. Uh, I didn't know it was the silent film when I bought it, but I bought all of the Hitchcock criterion films at this point and uh, really liked it quite a bit. Um, it's, it's very good. It's based off of like a Jack the Ripper kind of thing. Um, very cool. It's early and it, it it's crazy seeing how, uh, how quickly Hitchcock developed his style and tropes. Like there's a lot of the Hitchcocky and stuff built into this first movie. And I was surprised, but it. it's not his first movie, but it's one of his first movies. Um, and then I, I mentioned, I watched Harvey, the uh, Jimmy Stewart film with the invisible friend. That's a, a giant bunny rabbit, a puka puka. I think is what it's called. Um, I've, have you ever seen Harvey? I've never seen Harvey. So that, uh, what you've just said, just gone straight over my head, but it sounds fun. It dude, it's, it's pretty good. It's very fun. It's uh, Jimmy Stewart is super charming. And, there is a quote in it um, that is one of my favorite quotes like of anything ever. Cause I think it's where I'm at wow. emotionally. Um, and it is uh, his, I think his, he says like, my mother told me in this world, you should, you must be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. Well, for years I was smart. I recommend pleasant. You may quote me like that's in the, like the quote. And I just love that. Cause I think that's where I'm at um, in my life. I just want to be, good person i just want to put good vibes into the world like that's a good thing and you know i am i i i think i'm smart i've at least tried to be smart for so long and at this point i just almost prefer being pleasant um that you know i'm not going to cause i don't want to be the cause of someone's bad time essentially um it's not a bad thing dude and again, like listen, to the, this is another quote from the movie. I'm not trying to do this, but the positivity in this movie really hit hard for me. Um, this is again uh, Jimmy Stewart, and keep in mind, this Jimmy Stewart saying this stuff. So it's like how his cadence—he has that very specific cadence. It works so perfectly for him to say it. Um, I have, I always have a wonderful time wherever I am, whomever I'm with. What what positivity um, that just kind of flows? There is the caveat. People think he's insane. And that's like, you know, is this a crazy person saying these things? Thus they are taken away. But I think that's a debate within the, the film itself. So it's an interesting element. I, I really liked it. I kind of want to rewatch it even because I'm feeling the optimism like quite hard. Oops. But uh, that's what I've been consuming. Um, not quite as many movies as I usually get, but still several. Um, Matt, every week we have to train to do this podcast listeners think we just get on a microphone and run our mouths but no folks no no we have to maintain high levels of awesomeness and it's not easy to do like this doesn't come naturally for us like we have to work at this so matt how have you been saying bloody awesome since the last time we recorded well having just absolutely slaughtered home sweet home alone i'm gonna say that i've been getting bloody awesome by getting in the festive spirit um i'm always in the festive spirit 
Like you, like your wife, I love Christmas. Like Palpatine loves democracy, I love Christmas. It's one of my favourite times of the year, if not the famous time of the favourite time of the year. Um, and just seeing Home Sweet Home Alone, because I went into it again, I got a Christmas film, here we go. Uh, maybe that maybe that was a bit more of a Scrooge on that one, but it's got me right into the mood. Like the week before last, went to the uh, oh, big, big old garden centre, huge garden centre, the complete Christmas sections everywhere. There's huge trees everywhere, Christmas trees all decorated, obviously different colours, so you can see what... What different, uh, different colour patterns you can have and styles and designs, and it's fantastic, and it got me right in the mood. Um, so, in terms of, but obviously, we're film fans, so we get in, I also get in the mood by watching films. Certainly not any Hallmark films. I do apologise to the Birkin Fields this year, but um, I've got my, I've got a Christmas list of movies lined up to uh, just get, keep the, December train running because my favourite time of year is the lead up to Christmas. I think it's so so much fun. Everyone seems to be in a better mood wherever you go. There's Christmas lights, decorations. It's just such a nice time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You can you can catchphrase that one. But um, obviously you've got the classics like Home Alone. You've got it's a it's a wonderful life. Um, and Black Christmas and things like that as well. The Krampus uh, and maybe some naff rom coms like kind of Holiday or something. But Love Actually, I really like Last Christmas. <laughs> I knew if someone had said anything about a rom com, you jump in there. <laughs> I, you know, uh, Last Christmas is underrated. Uh, that was in my Amelia Clark and Henry Golding. Is that right? Yes, yes. yes. We, we it's did a cover little that weird. last year. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think yeah, I think that's correct. I, I I feel like it came out two years ago because I definitely saw that in the theater with my wife. Yeah, actually, damn. Oh, way to age us and the show there. But um, two years ago, that okay, that film was fine. It was charming, mainly due to Henry Golding is very charming. But I've got a list of Christmas films coming out. I've I've been I started wrapping up. Sorry, Santa Claus has started wrapping up presents for my daughter and that. So that's always fun and getting excited about that. So, dude, getting in the festive spirit. um, Evil dives tonight. Christmas starts tonight for me. So. Uh, I'm enjoying it, looking forward to it, and I know you are as well, but how have you been doing, my friend, to remain bloody awesome? So, I have been studying Bayhem. <laughs> if you're not familiar with that term, it is uh, the term coined with Michael Bayhem's filmmaking style. Um, I, I That's why I rewatched The Rock. Uh, I also purchased The Island, which I've never seen, but I will be watching uh, at some point. Um, my, my Film One students, their next project, uh, we, we just did the, the sixth sense and their their film project they did is called the secret where they had to have a character revealing a secret to someone else so it's pretty a lot of dialogue pretty chill um so i thought uh, to mix it up their next project is going to be to take something mundane and turn it into bayhem um <laughs> so like student getting up to sharpen a pencil and you get like the hero shot of them like standing up from the desk and like slow motion walking to the pencil sharpener maybe for some reason a cg explosion happens behind them for no apparent reason but you know <laughs> Um, and so I've been like reading up on it. I watched, uh, two YouTube videos, um, from Patrick Willem. Uh, it's an hour worth of him dissecting the entire filmography of Michael Bay. I think up to the last night, I think is where it stops. The, uh, the last Transformers film he directed, yeah, um, which he's done two Netflix movies, I think since then. Yes. Um, and maybe one, I think he did a, did he have a, he had a pandemic film come out, right? Like the, there is uh, it's either come Something. out or it's either come out and flopped or it's coming out but yeah he did i think it came out and it was like covid 20 or something like that it was called yeah it's not not good uh, i think it mm. i think it's already come and gone but um good. anywho the michael based filmmaking style is uh often mocked but 
no one does it quite like him, and it is always compelling. The Rock is just really an engaging movie. Great. Yeah, it's it's man, I hadn't seen it in years, and I was just like, yeah, I still remember a lot of this movie, and there's stuff I didn't remember, but I remember a lot of the performances. Nick Cage is just before he becomes the Cage we know and love, um, so yes. he's just a, just with like holding back, but he's definitely approaching the craziness that we're familiar with. Um, and Sean Connery is so good in that movie. Um, and Ed Harris, like nailing as he often does the bad guy role. Um, but yeah, uh, they have maybe underappreciated. I, I really recommend the Patrick Willem videos. I think they're excellent. Uh, he does a really good job of breaking down, um, all of the movies and pointing out some stuff and having fun with it while he does it. So, I'll check that out. The Rock is great. The best. Losers always whine about their best. That what a great quote from Sean. That was a worst yeah. Sean Connery impression ever here. But I love that film, and, I, and I, it's one of my favorite action films of all time. And when, but and like you say, nobody does big booms and explosions like Michael Bay. I might not like the majority of his recent output, but yeah. nobody does big scale explosions and actions and like and Bay him like Michael Bay. So I, I'll check that out, man. You know, he directed the, like one of the first Scott Milk commercials with the uh, Alexander Hamilton, um, like, like obsessed guy. Uh, like the guy that. gets a phone call and he's got a mouthful of peanut butter. He's like, and he like they're like, what? And he doesn't have milk. That was a Michael Bay. Direct. If you watch it, it's so obvious a Michael Bay commercial because it's like stylistically his stuff is all there, but it's like a milk commercial. It's insane. Um, he started music never videos and, and commercials. Yeah, you never knew um, it. So. That's it for this episode, folks. Uh, our review of Spencer. Matt and I are so excited for next week, though, because mm-hmm. next week is the long awaited, highly anticipated by the two of us Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yes. I bought my ticket today. I am seeing it on Thursday at four o'clock. My theater has a show. I'm squeezing it in between one job and oh, another job. Damn. I'm seeing it at th- on Thursday in terms of. Uh, Eastern time, Florida, Florida time. I'm seeing it half of three your time. So we're going to come out pretty much the same time. I'm going to come out about 45 minutes to an hour before you. Yeah. So that's, uh, we'll have to like message each other carefully, make sure that it's over before we say anything. Oh, yes. But, um, I, I'm very excited. I am seeing it with my editor, David, uh, who we are both crazy Ghostbuster fans. So we are very hyped. Um, I, for most movies, I would not try to rush my day because I'm going to be like, I'll be lucky if I get to eat before I go to my second job. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, I'm I'm not, I, I want to see it as soon as possible. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's, I'll, I'll send you the video um, that David sent me. Hugh Jackman did like a testimonial yes. video about how much he loves the movie. That and I just it for me, seeing him. To, and yeah. Paul Rudd's the sexiest man in the world as well. Come on. Yes. yes. Hugh Jackman's video was, and it felt genuine as well. Hugh Jackman doesn't need to pick the film up. He's not in it, no. but he did. And that got me excited. Now he has worked with Reitman for full disclosure on the, um, the front runner a couple of years yeah. ago. So, I mean, he does have a, a presumable connection to Reitman. Doesn't mean he likes, it. he could have hated Reitman for all I know, you know, but, uh, but still like, it does seem so genuine. And again, celebrities don't often do this. Like, and he has no reason to, like you said, I mean, Hugh Jackman does have a pretty decent social like output, but still, I thought this was uncharacteristic for a a non attached actor, like go nuts over a movie like this. So I'm super stoked. Um, I've got my Stay Puft t-shirt ready and waiting. Yeah. I'm going full Ghostbusters attire for sure. Uh, I'll have one of my Ghostbusters Roosevelt shirts, my Ghostbusters mask Uh, by mask. I do mean like face mask. 
um, that matches my shirt. So uh, full in 100% Ghostbusters as I roll into the theater on Thursday at 4 o'clock. Um, cannot wait. Uh, you will have just probably listened to this episode while we're at the theater even. So um, yes. that's it, though. Uh, in the meantime, follow us on social media. Follow our exploits and all the things for Bloody Awesome. At Instagram, we're on Bloody Awesome Movie Pod and Twitter. Uh, we are at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. And then Facebook, you can just search Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. Of course, we're individually out there on the interwebs. I am at BurkeReviews.com and at BurkeReviews on all the social media platforms. Where can they find you, Matt? Uh, whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and also on all the social media platforms. And you can find both of us also on Letterboxd. And then uh, if you like the show, we ask that you take just a moment to rate and review the podcast give us that five-star rating so that other listeners are able to find our bloody awesome movie podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And with that, we encourage you to keep watching movies and stay bloody awesome. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.